Hey there, welcome this morning. There are going to be soft toys this morning, so, you know, that's something to look forward to. My name is Rod, my pronouns are he and him. Um, yeah, welcome this morning. I might just start with a prayer. If I seem a bit shaky this morning, it's not because I'm nervous, I'm just over-caffeinated, so don't, don't worry. You don't want to have too much coffee when you're fasting. Loving God, be with us this morning. Help us to be aware of you in and through everything and everyone here this morning. Conscious of your loving and kind presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I always find it soothing when I'm praying, just hearing the boiling water. Um, <clears throat> we always start with a pricey when we um, do our talks, and we're going to do a really short one this morning. Yeah, so we're doing a series on um, the Jesus way as a wisdom tradition, and the 25 words or less summary of that is that we are trying to follow Jesus along the path that leads to life and to avoid paths that lead to death. And we've been doing that by just looking at lots of different stories about Jesus, parables, um, events. And last Sunday, I was talking about um, the idea of not judging and about forgiving. And a really wonderful thing happened afterwards, and that was that someone came up to me afterwards and said, oh, I was really hoping that we would talk about this as well. It's um, just about the most incredible gift that you can offer us as CPLT if we are talking about a topic to come up to us afterwards and say, that was great, even if it wasn't, say, that was great. Uh, and then say, but what I really felt the need for in this topic is this. Um, is it possible for us to, to talk about that? And so this, this week is, is exactly that. It's looking at um, self-forgiveness, which is what was missing last week. Uh, and it's the beauty of that gift of saying what you would like or what you felt um, you need is that it means that we don't have to feel the pressure to cover everything every week. It makes things very long. Um, but it also means that we often tie ourselves up in knots trying to account for every possible kind of direction that you could take on a topic. And if we can trust you to tell us we also need this, it just take, it's a beautiful gift. It just takes a lot of the, the weight off. And one of the themes for today is... Um, that Jesus wants us to have a burden that is light, a yoke that is easy, or the other way around. And, yeah, that's what I, I hope for our community as well, that um, we contribute to the experience of being in community together as an experience of lightness, um, because we can trust each other to name things that we need. Um, so thank you. Uh, Self-forgiveness. 
The problem with this topic is that it's so close to my heart that I, I may have too much to say. Um, it was really brought into focus for me last year when I was doing a clinical pastoral education course, which is about becoming someone in spiritual or pastoral care. And every, every week you would have supervision, one-on-one supervision. And uh, the focus of my supervision throughout the course very quickly became not any of the pastoral care relationships I was having, but my own relationship with myself. And how incredibly hard and judgmental I was being of myself in that course about my failures in those pastoral care relationships. And I realised very quickly that I was going to be unable to offer true pastoral care to other people um, unless I was able to offer that to myself, that the kind of lightness and freedom that I was hoping to be able to help people find their way towards was only going to be possible if I was able to live in that lightness and freedom myself. And so today, in addition to the two passages we had last week, we'll look at them in a sec, I just wanted to um, add this passage from Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Just a tiny bit of context. It might seem strange that Jesus wants to put a yoke on us at all. Um, But that was a classic image for rabbis of the time, that when you followed a rabbi, you would take their yoke on them, like a beast of burden. So it wasn't Jesus wanting to... Um, make us plough his fields, but it was all about just being a follower of Jesus and that to be a follower of this particular rabbi, that rabbi's desire was for that to be a light and an easy thing. So if we're going to practice self-forgiveness, if we're going to look at these two passages that we looked at last week, in a way that helps us practice self-forgiveness. We need to to look at it in the context of a rabbi that wants following him to be an experience of ease and lightness. And looking at these passages on the surface of them, Jesus calling people hypocrites, Jesus saying, you know, don't judge, forgive 70 times, seven times. It can feel heavy reading these passages. And we did, we did talk about that last week and we talked about the way that Shane introduced us to this idea, this liberating idea of reading these passages not as directed towards individuals but directed towards communities and that that actually made them lighter. They're a vision of a, of a community rather than condemning individuals. Um, But I guess what I realised last week is that we also need the flip side of that. We need a way of reading them as individuals that is 
liberating that is light. Um, and so what I thought I might do, forgive me, Holy Spirit, is um, rephrase them as passages that are about not judging yourself and forgiving yourself rather than the other way around. Would anyone like to read my heretical version of the Bible this morning? Who wants to join me on the wrong side of history? Thanks, Tracy. Thank you. Don't judge yourself and you won't judge others. For with the judgment you make of yourself, you will judge others. And the measure you give yourself will be the measure you give others. Why do you see the speck of self-judgment in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log of self-judgment in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, out of your eye while this log is in your own eye? You poor fool, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Then Peter came up and said to him, Rabbi, if I do something wrong, how often should I forgive myself? As many as seven times? Jesus said to Peter, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So I just want us to sit with those for a minute. Um, and then I want to see if anyone has anything that they want to share about how, it's, how it feels different to, to read them, experience them as passages about not judging ourselves, about forgiving ourselves rather than focused on other people. So happy to have a tiny bit of silence and then if anyone has anything they want to, that they've noticed about it or noticed in themselves. Particularly the second one there, there's a gentleness about it and a sense of wrapping yourself in love, which builds, builds you up and connected to that in the first Matthew passage, this sense of mutual lifting up and building and we're battling with these demons together uh, and I've got to look into me as well as into you. Uh, what I do with me... It's going to help you because then I'm in a better position to help you. Yeah, I, I was thinking of picking up what you were saying, Rod, there about something that's, you know, in the background, in your past or in your journey that, that just keeps surfacing all the time, I think, and then, you know, forgiving yourself. And, and the aspect of that can seem almost impossible that I cannot forgive myself. Um, and there needs to be, I think that's where some higher authority, be it Jesus or wherever, to, to be able to say that, you know, I forgive, like somewhere in there to draw on that because it's beyond, beyond me sort of thing. It's, yeah, I'm stumbling in how to express that, but... Yeah, this thing where it keeps surfacing all the time and I regret that that happens and it was terrible and, yeah, and, oh, it's okay, let it go, forgive yourself. I think that's right, but it's almost need, needs some higher power almost to, to bring into that to say, be at peace, you know, yeah. 
And it's really interesting how, yeah, that how much I'm coming across at the moment of psychology, people kind of pushing into that space of going, even if you don't believe in God or whatever, just you need to introduce some concept of higher self or that that is that externalised authority, even if it's actually internal, that gives you that permission. So, yeah, that's very, very powerful. I knew there'd be a psychologist in the room. Hey, Jackie. I do a lot of work with clients around forgiveness because I think one of the things people struggle with, we only need to forgive if something is not a good behaviour. So going back to your point, we don't forgive good behaviours. We forgive something we know is wrong. And behaviour change never comes from condemnation or guilt. So you're more likely to keep doing the same thing or you might atone yourself for a little period of time to try and get yourself out of it. Whereas when there's a lightness, when you forgive, it actually helps people tap into their values. It helps, for me, I can tap into my values and you're more likely to behave in line with your values than when you flog yourself. And so to me, forgiveness implies something is not good in what was happening and that's okay. And how do you have grace and compassion to then move forward rather than staying stuck? Thanks, Jackie. So, yeah, it, it all plugs in, like all of this stuff plugs into what's happening in psychology at the moment of that whole question of what works, like what works to help free us from, from these, these things that are holding us that are so heavy. Um, yeah, Jeanette. Don't want to dominate, but um, I want to build on what you said, and it actually occurred to me with my clients. One of the things that I often see that gets them stuck is they actually hold higher um, levels of accountability for themselves than for other people. They are far harsher in judging themselves than in, uh, in other people. And if I actually present them with the question, well, would you forgive that in someone else? Oh, yes, of course I would. But no, not for me. Uh, and actually trying to work on that and see, well, you know, what these passages are about is the mutual forgiving. And that can actually lead to a breakthrough. Whenever we talk about, retribu uh, about um, forgiveness, I always think about retribution. Um, and kind of like in the... Like one way of looking at forgiveness in the biblical text is handing over responsibility for retribution to someone else. Um, and when it comes to ourselves, I think this the lens on this kind of shifts when you think about it's one thing if it's repeated behavior, but what if it's actually a single incident that keeps returning to you and returning to you? Like how many times you need to forgive yourself for something that you can no longer change? And for some of us, I think there's a retribution factor here where we feel like if we're harsh enough on ourselves for something that we have done, we're doing penance and we're taking responsibility for um, making sure that we're adequately punished for what we did. Um, and, yeah, or people, yeah, yeah. And so I just feel like, yeah, like with this lens, thinking about how often that, side of guilt returns to you and how cathartic that harshness can feel because it feels like we're safe in some way because no one can punish us more than we're punishing ourselves and the kind of safety of that. Um, but actually giving over retribution, <laughs> responsibility for retribution to a higher power, to someone else and saying, I will no longer flog myself for this. I have to, I have to work out a way of moving forward and moving on. Yeah, 
and yeah, I think yeah, there's a there's a step of faith in that. Yeah. And this whole conversation is so much like so many of the kind of instructive texts within the Bible where it's so often the people who don't need to hear it who do and people who do need to hear it don't. <laughs> Which is why I think Jesus is just always harsher to people in power because it's so often the people in power that don't that don't hear, that can forgive themselves, that can move on quickly, that can not feel too bad about things. And it's often the people who are powerless are the people that take this stuff seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it's that beautiful idea of Jesus coming to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, so... We really could leave things there because you've covered it all, but um, but I did bring soft toys, so <laughs> so just and also we you know we talked about this as being a wisdom series and like trying to make it practical and grounded. Uh, so at the risk of um, being a little bit kind of solutions focused in an area which is about kind of often for some of us very deep long, painful processes that aren't resolved quickly. I, I want to um, introduce you to a little model of um, the self, which I've found really helpful in, for myself in working out a way forward when it comes to self-judgment and forgiveness. Um, so it's, it's related a little bit to, some of you might be familiar with internal family systems, therapy, uh, so the idea that within you there are all of these different selves that have different roles um, uh, with psychologists in the room. I'm not going to go there. Um, but I did want to talk about a, a kind of related um, model, which is called the community of selves, which I came across through um, group work, the group work centre. Um, this is an actual photo of my internal family system. <laughs> This, this happened in my clini clinical pastoral education course, which is why it's like, looks like biblical figures. All of my, all of my internal selves are from the Bible. Um, don't ask me who's lying down, um, but yeah. And the, this little quote from Walt Whitman that I like, the idea that we all contain multitudes, yeah. Um, but the the community of selves model uh, is it's lovely because it's very visual it has it's, I think I've talked about it before so apologies but it, it basically the idea that imagine yourself is a bus and on the bus there are all of these seats with um, all of these different soft toys that represent different selves in you um, and up the front driving the bus is your wise owl. This is the only owl that we had at home. It's a little tiny beanie boo owl. Um, so this is your wise owl. So your wise owl is driving the bus. Um, but there are all of these other selves on the seats in the bus. And when things get stressful or the road gets a bit windy or there's a lot of rain, then others, other selves will come up to the front of the bus and try to take the wheel because they want, oh, I'm going to keep us safe and they want to take the wheel. And under those circumstances, 
The job of the wise owl is not just to send those selves straight back to their seat without listening to them, but to listen to them, listen to their anxiety, work out what gift they have to offer, then soothe them enough that they return to their seat and don't try to take the wheel. Now, some of these selves, like this one, might be selves that you inherited from your parents. This is my mum's bear from the 1950s. Um, They might be selves that you acquired during childhood. This is the Snoopy that I got for Christmas in 1976. Um, Or they might be selves that you get from your kids, (laughs) from parenting. I have no idea what this is. Tilly tells me it's a rabbit, but it looks like some kind of pink monster. Um, But wherever these selves come from, um, for each of them, when they want to take the wheel, there's a little um, process that we can go through. And so today, because we're focusing on self-judgment and self-forgiveness, it might be that... um, in trying to take the wheel, it's because this, this soft toy doesn't think that you are accounting for your need to judge yourself um, harshly enough. Um, and so I guess that the, the process that I've gone through that I've found helpful um, when I am in a, in a place where one of my selves is wanting to judge me and wanting to refuse to forgiveness, to offer forgiveness to me, is to ask myself these questions, like to, to, to try to name that self, like literally give it a name. Um, so one of my selves might be pastor, saviour self. Um, ask what they're trying to say to me, like in a phrase, what's, what's their message to me? It might be that forgiving yourself in this situation is dangerous, dangerous for you and dangerous for others, that you need to judge yourself to keep yourself and others safe. And then thinking about what the gift is that they have to offer. So, for example, if if as a, a pastor in this community, I feel like it's my responsibility to keep everyone safe and okay, then the self that has that message for me, it is a gift. It's a gift to me to go, you need to take, it, take your role very seriously. You need to take this, the safety of your community very seriously because, yeah, your missteps have consequences. That is true. You need to take responsibility for stuff. And the easiest way to make sure that you do that is for me to be very judgmental of your missteps and not allow you to forgive yourself. So it is a, it's a gift, but then the last step is equally, if not more important, and that is to think, but, but what happens if that self actually takes the wheel in my life? And obviously in a situation, and you know, you basically see this in about 95% of church pastors, in a situation where that self is driving the bus, it's a recipe for burnout and mental collapse and leaving. And so that as the wise self, where's the wise self? Here we go. And this, that's 
the way that the wise self can soothe that judgmental pastor saviour to say, I hear you, but if we go in that direction, you're going to let down your community even more dramatically. And so trust me to navigate us through this in a way that fulfills my responsibility to my community but also takes care of myself. So just one little model of how it works. And for each of us, that self that thinks it's too dangerous to forgive ourselves, that self that feels like self-judgment is the best way to fulfill our responsibilities to ourselves and to others, it, it will manifest in different ways. It will have different names. It will have a subtly different gift to offer us, but it will be equally dangerous for it to take the wheel. Now, as I said before, um, I'm not saying that this is easy. And I recognise that for some of us, the things in us that we find hard to not judge ourselves about and to forgive ourselves about are things that might be decades old and are very, very deep and that require a lifetime and lots of therapy to even begin to address. Uh, so this model, the last thing I want you to do is to take away from this model the sense that, oh, if <laughs> another layer of self-condemnation. If only I'd known about the soft toys, I could have solved, <laughs> solved this years ago. Um, yeah, this stuff is not simple and it's not easy. What I do hope you take away from today is that that condemning voice, that voice which will not forgive you, is not the voice of God in you. The voice of God in you is the gentle and wise self that is listening to that voice, understands where that voice is coming from, but that doesn't want that voice to take the wheel of your life. That the voice of God in you is a voice that wants you to find your way to lightness and ease and freedom. And if that's the only thing that you take away from today, I think that's enough. Yeah, just, just that sense that that judgmental, unforgiving voice inside you is not the voice of God. So we're going to finish in a little bit with a prayer and communion, but I, you know, given the subject matter, I did want to open it up again just for a, for a little few minutes just to see if there are any other thoughts or feedback. It's totally fine if there isn't, given the nature of the subject matter. There may be lots of thoughts or there may be none. That's fine, but I just want to allow that space now for a minute or two. I don't know if it's helpful or not, but it, it, it's been helpful to me over the years to have, a, um, to have an image of um, a place where I can go um, to hear, hear what God is saying, that voice of God, whether it's the owl or, or to get that sense of to get out of the the dominant other voices and and the image um, 
in my case, as I said, it can be whatever, but in my case, it's, um, it's a garden, and it's a particular garden, it's a seat, and I sit on the seat and imagine God sitting next to me. Now, that's just me, you know, but if I can go to that place in times when there's a lot of voices, that image is helpful to what is God, what, what are, like, what, what might God be saying to me about this particular situation, as opposed to a voice of, you know, you should be doing this or that or whatever. So, yeah, I guess just offering that, that, that an image can sometimes be helpful to get, get that voice. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Dean. And it's obviously helpful to think there's not one path to hearing that kind of more nurturing voice of God in this. Um, and, yeah, we'll find our way there through different paths. I guess today, at least, the idea is to start slowly to trust the fact that that condemning voice is not the voice of God. Thanks, Dean. G'day. Hello, everyone. Um, this is just more of a question in terms of like the clarification of condemnation and judgment, because I do feel like they're somewhat linked, but there's a big step of a cliff to get to condemnation. So, yeah, it's just more of a question of, you know, how you see that difference and the relationship of those two. The difference between judgment and condemnation? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, be interested what other people think. I mean, for me, it's just one's a stronger version of the other you know the condemnation obviously is a really strong form of judgment that might mean yeah you can't come back from this or that this means that you are kind of beyond redemption or whatever it might mean yeah Shane has a thought what a surprise um yeah I, like I, one of the ways I think about that is is that condemnation is judgment past its purpose so judgment is about actually helping you, uh, like a good, a healthy form of judgment is helping you actually, to, you to actually identify something that needs to change or something you need to seek forgiveness for. And then condemnation is what follows after you have taken that seriously and you have sought forgiveness and you've sought change, you've done what you can do, whatever is in your power to do. Condemnation is kind of the thing that might make us feel... <laughs> okay because we feel like because we feel like we're still taking it seriously but it ends up beating us down and wearing us down um and so when judgment has happened and we've actually paid attention taken it seriously sought reparation sought forgiveness sought change taken those steps if judgment carries on beyond that it's no longer helpful it's just it's just punitive rather than restorative. Uh, yeah, I just see like healthy judgment as being a restorative move that brings us to a place of health and to a place of wellness and goodness and stopping harming others. And condemnation, yeah, it's kind of like echoes of that that are kind of like past the use-by date. So they're no, no longer actually productive, yeah, in helping change. That trumpet. Trumpet has sounded. As I'm walking over to Jackie, one thing that I will post this week is because Judaism basically does all of this stuff much better than we do. And within Judaism, there is all of these 
beautiful steps laid out for how you be you end up reconciled to someone after you've harmed them. Um, and it's a beautiful female rabbi who I listened to recently talking about those steps. So I'll, I'll post that because I think it's really beautiful. Jackie. For me personally, I sort of think of judgment as an evaluation of a behaviour. So you can judge something as good or healthy or as bad, where it, so it's more about the behaviour that allows that, whereas condemnation is more about the person, the being, that you are condemned rather than the behaviour. And I think that's where judgment becomes toxic and unhelpful when it's about who you are rather than something you've done that you can then change and restore and improve. Like that kind of guilt shame thing of like I did something wrong versus I am fundamentally wrong as a person. Yeah. Thanks, Jackie. Oh, another one. Hey, Antonia. I just wanted to add, like, I think condemnation has a sense of permanence, where it's like judgment can be a fleeting evaluation. And condemnation I associate with like like uh an other, like a power other than you, altering your state of being. And there's that sense of permanence of I am condemned and I will be condemned, whereas judgment can be more surface. I don't know, just in terms of the words. Thanks. Um, conscious of the time. So thanks, everyone. Um, and a, a beautiful question just to remind us that Again, this is just one small conversation about a vast topic and that there's so much more to say. We're not, this is not ended. This is an ongoing conversation. And again, that's the beauty of community, that, that we are endlessly revisiting the same conversations and the same questions and seeking just subtly more beautiful answers all the time. But like with our Safe Church statement, we never arrive but let's keep travelling together. Here's a little prayer that, um, that we prayed together last week. Um, that Again, if you feel comfortable, have a little look at the words. If you feel comfortable, we might pray together before we move to communion. And I love this particularly because of the line to live in the freedom of forgiveness. And I guess that's my aspiration for the last week and this week is that... These is an ongoing conversation that will help us all move towards a sense of freedom that comes from living in an environment, a culture, a community that practices forgiveness. Um, so if you'd like to pray this with me. Um, following the way of Jesus, we commit ourselves in the service of others to seek justice and to live in peace, to care for the earth and to share the commonwealth of God's goodness, to live in the freedom of forgiveness and the power of the spirit of love. Amen. So as we move to communion, um, I'm aware that in the churches that I grew up in, um, sometimes communion was used to actually reinforce the self-condemning voices inside of us telling us that communion was a symbol of the fact that God could only forgive us if God looked at Jesus rather than at us. That we in ourselves were beyond forgiveness. 
and that it was only in in Jesus that we were deserving of forgiveness. And I now believe the opposite. That as we say in this church and as we say in our community prayer that Jesus didn't die so that God can love us. Jesus died so that we can love God. That we can see how much God loves us and how worthy of love God believes us to be. Um, One of the early models of what the cross meant was the ransom model. So that in Jesus' death, uh, God was like paying a ransom payment to the devil. And it occurred to me that today as we take communion, we could see the cross as God ransoming us from ourselves. What if the cross, what if Jesus' death was the only way that God could convince the self-judging parts of ourselves to forgive the parts of ourselves that feel the most shame? So that's what I want you to invite you to do as you come up to participate in communion this morning, to think of it, think of the cross, think of Jesus' death, think of these gifts of juice and cracker as God saying to those selves within us that want to condemn us, this is how much I love the person that you want to condemn. So, as always, if you don't want to participate, you don't feel comfortable participating, that's totally fine. But if you would like to, come forward, take a piece of cracker and a thing of juice, and then when we're in a circle, we'll eat and drink together. I'm not going to condemn myself for this, but this is a pretty lazy week because I just got to reuse all the same things and just reframe them. So we're going to finish <laughs> with the same prayer that we finished with last time um, from the um, Corimila community in Northern Ireland. But this week, we're going to pray it as a prayer to ourselves. We're going to pray this to the family and community of selves that we all contain within ourselves. So um, I'll just read it for us. But I want you to think of it as a prayer to the family and community within yourself. Where there is separation, there is pain. And where there is pain, there is story. And where there is story, there is understanding and misunderstanding, listening and not listening. May we, separated people, estranged strangers, unfriended families, divided communities, turn towards each other, turn towards our own stories with understanding and listening, with argument and acceptance, with challenge, change and consolation. Because if God is to be found, God will be found in the space between. Amen. Let's eat and drink.